Well, good morning, Gospel Grace. It's always, it's always a pleasure to worship together. And you know, I, I, I do, I want to thank our worship team uh, for leading us. They always do such a good job, not only with the singing and the playing of the instruments, but also the choice of the songs, the scriptures, the prayers, I mean, they're rich. To a certain extent, like I feel, I feel full already. It's good. And I think God is pleased when he sees his people using his gifts to bring him glory. In that way, I mean, those of us who are parents, while we're vastly different than him in many ways, but in that way, uh, I think we're not much different. As we see our children doing good in sports or some other activity, right, it's natural. It brings us joy, right? My father, he loved football. He, he played back in the day of no face masks and, and, and all that stuff. He was a tough guy. And so, of course, as soon as I was old enough, he signs me up for Little League. And, and so one of my earliest football memories was I, I, I came to the sideline after a play. I played on the line, and I had, I had pushed this other little kid back a couple of yards. And I was like, yes, and that's good. And I go running off to the sideline, and I see my dad standing there. I'm like, Dad, did you see that? Did you see me hit that guy in front of me and push him back? He's, yes, son. Yes, son, I did. He didn't get past me, did he? I did a good job, didn't I, Dad? Well, if you were on offense, you would have done a good job. But son, you were on defense. You're supposed to go tackle the guy with the ball. Oh, hmm, I didn't do that, did I? No, son, you didn't. He ran right past you. And thus, my illustrious football career began in a foreshadowing of other disappointing football moments to come, unfortunately. But sometimes that's just the way life goes, right? I mean, we, we work hard, we do all of these things, and we try and do what we're supposed to do. We think we're doing a pretty good job, but we can be focused on all the wrong things. Right? And we end up not really accomplishing what we think we should be. But some of you may be saying, man, that sounds a lot like my work week last week. I'm like, I'm with you, right? The struggle can be real, amen? But don't feel alone. Right? In our text today, we're going to see some of this same confusion, some of this same tension as Jesus' followers think that the miracles are the main, the main way of advancing God's kingdom. And they're not the only ones that we're going to see today that are a little bit confused, as we're going to see a leper who believes that being healed of his leprosy, like that's it, that's all he needs. And what we're going to find out is they're both wrong. They're both wrong. Right, there are two things that this text shows us, and we can really see this like every day in the world around us. You can see it as you scroll through your news feeds or your social media, or whatever. And the first is very simple. It's very easy to see. Sin is bad. Right, sin is bad. 
And related to it, apart from God, the second thing we see is that apart from God, we don't know what we're doing. Right? Apart from God, we really have no idea how to properly live life in the sight of God. Essentially, man and, and the world that we live in, it's just a confused, sinful mess quite often. And so far in Mark, we have seen Jesus walk into this mess, right? Through his miracles, through his message, he's, he's gaining fame. And, and his message, through both the miracles and his teachings, it's simple. I'm the one that you have been waiting for. I am the one that you need. And it's true. Right? Jesus is the hero. He's the hero of the story. He's the hero of all of history. He's the prophesied snake crusher. He's the seed of Abraham that blesses the world. He is the son of David who reigns over an eternal kingdom. He is the fulfillment of the sacrificial system, the temple and the high priest. He is the prophet like Moses, and he is the second and better Adam, and he has come to conquer sin. He is the one who can reconcile the broken relationship between God and man and cleanse the sinner from their defilement. He is the one who not just the people of his day but who we all need, who we all need. But as we began to see last week, there's a bit of a disconnect, right? There's a tension between Christ and his mission and the expectations of the people. And we see this continue in our text today, which is Mark chapter 1, verses 35 to 45. I will go ahead and read it. You can follow along. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Simon and his companions searched for him, and when they found him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. And he went into all of Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. Then a man with leprosy came to him and on his knees begged him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. Immediately the leprosy left him. And he was made clean. Then he sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer what Moses commanded, commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet he went out and began to proclaim it widely and to spread the news, with the result that Jesus could no longer enter a town openly. But he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. Let's bow for a moment of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you have ministered to us thus far, and we just ask that you would continue. 
Lord, we ask that you may give us ears to hear, a mind to understand, and a heart that longs to obey. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So today we continue to see that Jesus, though he is who we all truly need, he's not really what the people of his day wanted. And things haven't changed all that much, right? He's not really what humanity wants in our day either. And unfortunately, like at times, right, even, even we as Christians, we can go frustrated. We can become discontent with how Jesus is ordering our lives. And so we as Christians, we need to be reminded that, hey, we, we do need him. And we need to be reminded who we are and, and why we're here. See, the church is not left on earth to just enjoy the, the good life, right? Not at least the way society and culture defines it. The goal of God in your life and in my life is not to make us more comfortable in this world. It's not to make us more entrenched and more entangled in the kingdom of man, which is passing away. No, the desire of God and his purpose in our lives is to whet our appetite for something better, right? For eternity, to turn our thoughts and desires heavenward and to him and get us to invest more in the kingdom of God, which is here now, and advancing. Don't, don't, don't believe all the chicken littles running around out there now, okay? The kingdom of God is still advancing and Jesus is still building his church. And guess what? The best is still to come. Amen? But that's the Christian life, right? That's what we have been called to. That's why we have been saved. We have been saved to advance God's kingdom, God's way. God's way. And so today in a sermon titled, Prayer and Proclamation, we will see that prayer and the proclamation of God's word leads humanity to the cleansing that we need to be reunited with God. And so today's scripture, we really have two scenes. First, verses 35 to 38, after all of the activity and all of the healings of last week, Jesus goes out to pray. He's later found by some of his new followers, and we get a little conflict, right, over the method and means of advancing the kingdom. The next scene, verses 39 to 45, is the healing of a leper. And what we're going to see here is some conflict over the true need of humanity. But first, we're going to look at this interaction between Jesus and his followers. Jesus rises early, he goes off by himself, and he prays. And when his followers find him, they said, everyone is looking for you. And they're not just giving him information. right? In the original text, there's there's almost a sense of rebuke, right? It's as if they're saying, what are you doing out here praying, Jesus? I mean, praying is, is good, but don't you know? I mean, people are going to be lining up soon. We, uh, we got a kingdom to build. There's miracles to be done. See, they thought 
Jesus didn't get it. They thought he didn't get it. And I love Jesus' answer. Right? There's no debate. There's no back and forth. Jesus merely says, let's go on to the neighboring villages so that I may preach there too. This is why I have come. See, Jesus doesn't second-guess himself. He doesn't pause to consider, hmm, maybe these fellows have a point. No. Jesus answers in full confidence of his methods of advancing the kingdom, well, because he's God, right? Jesus is God. He's saying, I, I know we have a kingdom to build. I mean, that's, that's why I'm praying. And that's why we will go to the next village where I will preach the word. And so we can today have this same confidence in the importance of the ministry of prayer and the ministry of the word because, newsflash, Jesus is still God. And his methods of advancing God's kingdom are still right. Now, it's not that miracles and works have no part to play, right? Let's not throw the baby out with the bathwater. It's the emphasis that needed to change. For too many in Jesus' day, the miracles, like that's the main event. And the preaching and prayer came second. But what we see in Jesus is that the miracles, the works, were meant to support. They were meant to validate and uphold his message. And it, it really shouldn't be any different in our lives. Now, we're not out there performing miracles. And yet, our, our works right, who we are, how we live, they, they validate our faith. They show the reality of our faith. They point to and support the message that we believe and that we preach. See, the kingdom of God does not advance based primarily on miracles and show, right? Faith based on these is often planted in the thin and rocky soil of experience and emotion, right? Think of the parable of the sower. When times are good, man, we're in. Jesus, I love him. He's awesome. But as Hack said and, and prayed, right? These, these things don't last long. As times turn tough, man, I'm out. I, I, I tried that Christianity thing. It's just not for me. Right? So often, faith that is centered on miracles and show and signs and wonders is like a bandwagon type of faith. It, it can be a shallow faith. It can be a, a precarious faith. Remember the Red Sea? Right? Remember the Exodus? The Red Sea is split in two after God decimated the kingdom of Egypt with miracles. And it was not long before the people of Israel are yelling at Moses, turn around, get us back to Egypt. We had it so much better there. Yeah, so much better in bondage, so much better in slavery. Hmm. And throughout church history, I mean, we see revivals and great movements of God were not done primarily through signs and wonders but through prayer and the ministry of the word. See, Jesus understood something that we still need to understand today. What you attract people with is what you keep them with. Right? As one pastor have said, we've, 
turned our churches into a Six Flags over Jesus, right? It's not the Sunday morning service anymore. It's a Sunday morning show. And however well-intentioned churches, big and small, that use carnal means to attract, well, they become stuck with continuing to use carnal means to keep the crowd that they attract. And what does that produce? Right? Is that going to produce a healthy church? A church full of, of disciples and, and of people growing in their faith? Well, it's likely to produce a bunch of carnal Christians. Or, even worse, a group of unconverted Christians, so-called Christians, sitting in a so-called church. See, as humanity, we're pretty good at putting on events. But not so much at building an eternal kingdom. You know, it's kind of getting towards the middle of football season. And people like Mr. Schoenrock up there, who, who, who loves football, I know there's other fans out there, like, you're already getting excited because we all know what comes at the end, right? The Super Bowl. The Super Bowl. And, and you want to talk about events. Last year, 115 million people watched the Super Bowl. That's a lot of people. It generated 1.3 billion, with a B, in case you missed it, billion dollars in revenue for the host region. We know how to throw a party, right? Peter and the others who were looking for Jesus, they understood what it took to attract a crowd. But we have a great miracle worker. Let him do his miracles and, and the people will come. Right? Man knows how to attract a crowd. Just ask Moses and Aaron about the party with the golden calf. Right? Just ask Peter and his friends about today's text. But the problem is, without the enlightenment of God, we don't know how to build the church. Again, just ask Moses and Aaron about the party with the golden calf. That's Exodus chapter 32. And Peter and his buddies about today's text. See, building the church is not a work of man. It's a divine work. It's God's work. He builds his church his way so that he gets the glory. And by his grace, he uses us. Right? And that's good. Like, that's something I should hear amens about, right? Because, because that's exciting. God uses us. But make no mistake. As Paul would say, we're just clay pots going around foolishly preaching, right? It's not about us, right? It's about God. And at Gospel Grace, we desire to follow the example of Jesus. And so two of our pillars are proclaiming biblical truth and intentional, passionate prayer. These need to be main activities for us as a body, but also for us as individuals, because if they're not, we've we, we, we got to ask ourselves this question. If they're not, then is our life really influenced by God? And are we really a godly influence to others? So we must be often in prayer and in the study and proclamation of God's word as those are two of the God-ordained means 
of spreading the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is the only way that humanity can be cleansed from the filth of our sin, made acceptable to a holy God, and become part of his people, to become part of his church. That right there, that's our greatest need. That is the world's greatest need. And as we move into our second scene, we're going to see the tension between this need and the more easily felt and seen needs of this life. And so as we open verse 39, Jesus, well, he's following his plan, right? He's preaching in Galilee, and a leper approaches him. And that's almost unheard of. That's almost unheard of at this time because, well, lepers aren't allowed to approach people. By law, they had to stay away from society. And, and if they saw anyone approach them, they had to yell, unclean, unclean, letting them know they were a leper. And so we see the desperation of this man. Right? He's, he's willing to forsake the rules of society and, and the Mosaic law itself. He is desperate. And we hear this in the words, he came to him, Jesus, and on his knees begged him, if you are willing you can make me clean. Right? He had obviously heard of Jesus' miracles, and he had some type of faith that Jesus could heal him. And in Jesus' response, right, we're going to get a beautiful picture of our God. Right? In the first scene, we see God's wisdom. Right? God knows how to build his church. Right? God is wise where we're not. But here, we're going to see compassion. Right, moved with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he told him, be made clean. That is beautiful. That is beautiful. But to get the full impact of this, we must understand that some translations do not say moved with compassion. They say moved with indignation. Really? So Jesus was angry? Yes. And it's still beautiful. Right? Jesus was moved with compassion at the plight of the man, but he was also moved to anger by the destructive power of sin that he saw in the plight of the man. Christian, drink this sin. We all want someone who's compassionate. Right? We all want someone who cares for us. And obviously, who does have the power to help us. And we absolutely see that here. We absolutely see that here in Christ. But make no mistake, we also have a God who gets angry at our enemies. Right? I want my Father, I want my King, and I want my God to be angry at those who hurt me. Who's not only going to care for me, but who will destroy those who harm me. Who will protect me. Who will defend me. See, God is not only our Father and our King, He's our champion, and He cannot be defeated. Christian, this is our God. That perfect eternity that Hack read about last week, chapter 21 of the book of Revelation, it's because of chapter 20 of the book of Revelation, where our God throws sin and Satan and death and anyone and anything that stands against Him and that can hurt us, His people, into the lake of fire. Right? That's the God that we have. That's our God, Christian. And he understands that sin 
sin must be dealt with. See, Jesus understood something, something that we need to understand. The felt needs of this life, the suffering, the want, sicknesses, abuses, anything and everything that is wrong in this life is because of sin. Not now, not necessarily a specific sin, but understand this, the presence of wrong in the world is because of the presence of sin. And so, for the good of his people, above all else, first and foremost, Jesus came to deal with sin so that we can be reunited to our God. So, so far we've seen tension between Jesus and his followers as they misunderstood the means of advancing God's kingdom. We've also even seen the tension within Christ and his emotions as he sees the damage that sin causes to humanity and the leper. And now we continue to see tension as Jesus is confronted with humanity's misunderstanding of what our real and true need is. See, after the healing, we read this, then he, Jesus, sternly warned him and sent him away at once, telling him, see that you say nothing to anyone. Right? Jesus didn't say, hey, can you do me a favor? Jesus wasn't like, you know, it'd be a great idea. It'd be great if you wouldn't, you know, say anything. Now, Jesus roughly told this man, this man that he just healed, don't tell anyone about this. And we're going to get to the why of that later, but first, like, why the sternness? Why kind of the frustration? Well, by the near rebuke that Jesus gives the man, the fact that the now healed man goes out and immediately sins. Right? He immediately disobeys Jesus and goes out and tells everyone. And the Bible's low view of faith, based primarily on miracles, it's, it's possible, it, it, it's likely, that this man walked away physically healed, but spiritually still dead. Right? He, he walked away from Jesus physically healed so he could enter back into human society, but very possibly spiritually still a leper unclean and cast away from God. Right? And his witness did not help the kingdom advance, but it rather was almost a hindrance. Right? We read the result of his disobedience. Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but he was out in deserted places, and they came to him from everywhere. You know, this is a pretty good example of Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a person. We know what we're doing, right? But its end is the way to death. Right, as we said earlier, to put it simply, on our own, we don't know what we're doing. We don't get it. But God does. God is wise. And not only is he wise, he, he shares this wisdom with us. He shares this wisdom with us. You know, when I was a teen, I was a walking nightmare. 
right? Anything and everything that I could do wrong, like I did. Even if it was easier to do the right thing, like I went that extra mile, like I put forth the extra effort to do the wrong thing. And obviously, I drove my parents nuts, right? They, at times, would grow frustrated with me. Had to be a little, a little harsh and a little stern with me. Because, see, I didn't get it. I, I didn't realize that I was on a path to ruining my life. I'm just out there having fun, right? And I really didn't care. But here's the thing, they did. They did, because they knew better than me. Any, any teens in here understand that. Your parents do actually know better than you, right? And, and, and understand this. They love you. They love you, right? My, my, my parents, my parents loved me, and they were harsh because of that. And that's the type of frustration and sternness we, we see with Jesus here. Right? Is it any wonder that he would grow frustrated with a man who was a, as great a miracle as it was, but who was content with only physical healing when so much more is at stake? You know, we see in this leper a picture of the result of faith that is centered on miracles, that is primary focus is on signs and wonders. As Hackwood said, uh, the what have you done for me lately type of faith. We, we talked about earlier that it was often shallow, easily shaken. And here we see that it can be too focused on this world. Not enough on eternity in God. And so we need God's word. And we need his spirit to awaken us to the greater needs of our soul. And so it's no coincidence that Mark spends a little bit of time here talking about this healing of leprosy. See, in the Bible, leprosy is it's often associated with sin. It's often used as a symbol for sin. Late stages of leprosy could deform a person like to such an extent that the sight of them was repulsive. And at the time, in, in biblical times, there was no cure. There's no healing, right? Lepers weren't allowed to live in society. Their disease separated them from society. And only a miracle, like we see in our text, only God could cure it. Is it any wonder the Bible uses leprosy as a symbol for sin? Right? Sin deforms our souls. It makes us detestable to God cast out of his presence and headed to an eternal hell. And as there's no cure at that point in time and, and for leprosy, man is also unable to deal with our sin on our own. It takes God to deal with our sin. How foolish must we look in the eyes of God as we waste so much of our lives thinking only about the here and now and, and how we can make that better while for so many, their eternal soul rots. Unconverted sinner. You know, no matter what you look like on the outside, no matter how finely dressed you are, like me, or, or how stylish your hair may be, 
no matter how much it looks like, you got it all together. You got it all covered. You, you can fool me. You, you can fool man, right? Because man looks on the outer appearance. But, but you can't fool God. God sees the heart. Right? He knows. He knows. He knows everything. That's what it means to be God. He knows everything. He knows the thoughts that you've had. He knows the desires that you have. He knows the things that you would do if you could get away with it. He knows the things that you think no one else knows but you. That ugliness that, 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 that you hide, that you try to forget about, that you try to ignore so you can continue to tell yourself you're a good person. He sees that. He sees it. And because it's real, you're not clean. You're an abomination. And you deserve God's everlasting wrath. And that's bad news. That's bad news if I've ever heard it. But it's also the truth. But here's the thing. Take heart. This doesn't have to be the end of your story. God doesn't expose the truth to crush you, but rather to give you the opportunity for true healing. See, Jesus didn't leave the throne room of heaven and enter into this mess that we have created to put band-aids on gunshot wounds. As Hack stated last week, his desire to keep that healing quiet it was because he would not lower himself to be the king or Messiah that the people were wanting, that the people were seeking, one who was, like them, focused only on the things of this world. See, they thought if they're healthy, wealthy, and out from under Roman rule, man, everything is okay. Sounds kind of like today. If the Republican Party were only in charge... If only I had a better job. If only I were healthy, wealthy, and wise, etc., etc. Everything would be just perfect. No. No, it wouldn't. All will not be well until sin is completely eradicated. Until God brings his kingdom in, in its fullness. And so Jesus did not come primarily just to heal diseases. He came to announce the kingdom, to accomplish salvation for his people, to cleanse their soul, and to begin the reclamation of the image of God. Jesus, the one who is pure, simply clean, unmixed cleanliness, for a time took all of the ugliness, all of the grotesqueness, and all of the filth of our sin, and he bore it by himself on the cross where he died as punishment for our sins. And he did this so that we who were cast out as unclean from the presence of God can be made clean and brought close to him. Unconverted sinner, if you will humble yourself and acknowledge the true need of your soul and you come to Jesus and say, if you will, you can make me clean, he will. He will. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? Our God is not only wise, but He is compassionate. And He's not just 
compassionate. He will defend us and He will not allow us to settle for anything less than the best. Our God is so good to us. Our God is so good to us. And so, beloved brothers and sisters, children of our God, as we close, right? I know that some of what we desire in this life can be frivolous. There was a group of us got together yesterday and we were talking. I mean, many of us, we live in Hamilton County, one of the richest counties in America, which is one of the richest countries in the world, right? Some of what we struggle with, it's, it's first world problems, right? It is. It is. But not everything. Not everything. There are many things that all of us are carrying right now that, that are nothing, nothing frivolous about them. Life can hurt. We know all too well the truth of Scripture that the wages of sin is death. And so understand this. It, it is no sin or shame to turn to God for help. I mean, where else are we going to go? Right? It's no sin or shame if in this life he does take that burden from you to be overcome with joy, to turn to him and give him thanks and praise. I mean, what else are you supposed to do, right? And it's absolutely no sin or shame to share that with others so that we too can rejoice in God's goodness. But remember, Christian, because Jesus went to that cross and he has cleansed your sin and he has reunited you to God, whether it's in this life or next, all of your problems, all of them, not 99 out of 100, right? Not all the easy ones, but every single one of them, including that one that hurts us and causes us so much pain and suffering. Every problem we have, has an expiration date on it, right? And that's reason to say amen right there. And don't forget that, that were we not cleansed, were we not reunited with God, that instead of having an expiration date, these problems and pains of this life would be but a preview of the eternal horrors that would await us in hell. And so as those who, through our salvation, through our sanctification, I mean, we've all benefited so much from the ministry of prayer and the ministry of God's Word. Should we not give ourselves to these things for our continued growth in Christ and also to share this hope with others? See, there is no question that at some point Christ will return. And all of creation, it's going to be cleansed by God. And it's going to be beautiful. But the question is this. Will we play a part in it or not? Will we play a part in it or not? Let's pray.